study of uh, of First Timothy, and we are we are quickly approaching in the next few weeks, quickly approaching the end of First uh, Timothy chapter six, and thus the end of First Timothy. Excited about uh, how we will land this plane and get on our next connecting flight uh, to uh, to the questions of Jesus and uh, kind of a survey of Jesus's questions through. Uh, the New Testament specifically in the Gospels and uh, really looking forward to it. I'm excited about just even there were some questions even today. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but the interaction between Jesus and when he's healing, you know, is just preaching to us. Uh, and, and, you know, is it easier to forgive sins or to say rise up and walk questions? So I'm, I am excited about that. But we still have some work to get done in First Timothy. And as we've approached First Timothy, we, we are looking at it through the lens of a guide to spiritual maturity. So there's an understanding that most of what we're going to be talking about is relative to the person who is saved, the person who's made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as their their Savior. And so, um, you know, if this doesn't resonate, if you've not made that decision, we'll touch on that today. And and I I implore you to to make that decision. And I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. Uh, But just understand that this is this message in particular, because of a lot of what First Timothy is talking about, it's Paul writing to Timothy, who is a pastor. So he's giving him instruction, and thus we can learn from that instruction on how to grow in our spiritual walk, what we will see in, in the midst of the world, how we, re- we respond to uh, the challenges that we'll face. And so as we look at uh, the next section, you know, in many of your Bibles, this section is offset by paragraph markers. Paragraph, it's kind of that reverse P, you know, if you remember from maybe from, uh, you know, middle school or something like that. But the, the verse, the verses six through 10 are a kind of paragraph, a discrete uh, context and paragraphs can relate to the one be- above or below them, but it's really important to understand that we're looking at a complete thought. Okay, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and unto many foolish and hurtful lusts. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so on your on your uh, sheet today, you'll see six lines kind of to the right uh, of the page. And those six lines are, are designed to create a, a little bit of a diagram of how this passage lays out. So this is, and so you, obviously there's not enough room for you to write that. What I was suggesting is up top you would write the number six, number seven, eight, and nine, and ten at the bottom for the verse references, right? They're the, the, the verse numbers. But, I, but it's important. The structure is important. And when I approach studying scripture that I'm, that I'm, that I'm going to share with you, the looking at the structure of the sentences, looking at the context, is really important. 
Some people can pull things out of Scripture that, that it really doesn't even say because they're not looking at Scripture within its context, right? I don't know if you're aware, but the Scripture actually says there is no God. Well, but it says that because it's quoting the fool. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, right? So context, and I know everybody uses that, but context is really important. So verse 6 sets the subject of this paragraph, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he does three discrete sentences. Paul writes three discrete sentences, all that are their own individual thoughts that support this point that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he summarizes it in verse 10. So bear with me. I'm not, again, I'm not correcting scripture, but just be clear. But if you were to read it, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That makes sense as a free thought, right? As a standalone thought. You can do the same with the sinner. But with godliness, excuse me, godliness with contentment is great gain. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content, or be therewith content. For the love of money, see, each one of these thoughts, each one of these sentences is in fact its own discrete thought that's supportive of the concept that godliness with contentment is great gain. And what we'll actually see, so another way to structure this, and I'm trying to give you a little glimpse into studying your Bible yourself, right? So that's part of the goal of me teaching you is to give you tools for you to study scripture yourself. Some people are more illustrative like this, right? They need to You know, some people do like word clouds and different ways to break scripture down. Some people are a little more systemic, if you will, and you might do an outline like this. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, verse 9, again, discrete thoughts, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And then I've, you know, broken that down. I believe that's on your your handout as well trying to give you two ways to break scripture down and these these individual discrete thoughts are clearly connected they're all supporting of this concept that godliness with contentment is great gain but paul illustrates those he supports those with these individual discrete thoughts okay and one of the things that we see in these discrete thoughts is a pattern We see in verse 7 a reality. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. That's that's not really a doctrinal statement. I mean, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for things, including doctrine. It's true. That is, I guess, a doctrinal statement that we can... We didn't bring anything into this world, and, and, you know, we can't carry anything out. I think we, we, we kind of, I don't know if scoff is the right word, but, you know, the even the Egyptians, when they make their terracotta soldiers, or maybe those aren't the terracotta soldiers, but that might be in, in Southeast Asia, in China somewhere or something, right? But, but they, they do all these soldiers, they do all these, they bury their bo- bodies with all this riches and things, right, to carry into the, well, into the afterlife. We know that's not... That's not true. I mean, but I think we know it not just because scripture, but we know it kind of at a basic level. Like burying somebody with something doesn't send it to the afterlife with them, right? I mean, that's kind of just a reality, right? 
But then we also see guidance, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So Paul is instructing Timothy. So this is a guidance or some instruction. So there's, so there's kind of a, you can see the different aspects of, of the way scripture can be applied here. But then there's also a warning, but they that will be rich fall into temptation, right? So Paul, in his communication to Timothy in these discrete thoughts, is giving some practical advice, right? Or at least a practical reflection that, well, we weren't born with anything. We were born naked. We're going to leave the world, you know? I, when, when, when I was with my mom when she passed away last, last year, you know, it was pretty clear when she finally took her last breath that she was done with her body. And, you know, the, she left us, and we joked about it for years, she left us the mess to clean up, right? In her basement and, you know, packed away in closets and, and stuff. And I'm really looking forward to leaving a lot of stuff for my kids to have to go through. Um, just, And I'm probably at this point going to leave little notes in them just so they can find, ha-ha, what are you going to do with this? Garage sale or donation? Um, but, but, like, we can't take it with us, right? It's a practicalness. But, but there's this practical, there's instruction, and then there's a warning. And the warning is, it's really interesting because this, you can apply this in a lot of different areas in your life, right? You can apply this to driving, right? Our, our youngest is in the process. He's, he's got his permit and... Right? I mean, there's a reality. Cars have a lot of mass behind them, right? They, you, you know, somebody has said, I don't know, I've never done the math on this, but mostly because I'm not that smart, that a car has more energy going like five miles an hour than a bullet has, right? Because of the weight and I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but, but it, it can do a lot of damage, right? A car, I mean, clearly a car can do a lot of damage. So there's reality, but then there's guidance. Hey, son, you need to be, you need to do this. You use your blinker, unlike most people, right? Mm-hmm. Follow the, the rules. Do these t- There's guidance. And if you don't, there's potential consequences, right? Yeah. There's, you could hit somebody. You could hurt somebody. You could kill somebody, right? So you can, you can do this kind of pattern, if you will, in a lot of things in our life. The reality, the guidance, and the warning. And we're going to spend some time on each of these. So the next, this, this, this reality is... So godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's a presumption of godliness. We're not actually going to spend a whole lot of time on the godliness part today. We're going to spend some time on contentment. And, and, and I thought about putting an equation here that godliness plus contentment is actually greater. The two of them together, there's a term for this in uh, synergy, right? The synergy of those, the, 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 the two things together is greater than the two individual parts. Godliness with a lack of contentment, I mean, you're still godly. And contentment with a lack of godliness is a thing. There's a lot of unsaved people that are content in life. But you put those together and bam, you've got this great gain. Okay, so the reality for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Notice some of our scriptural support to this because it is, like I said, it's a doctrine, but it's also common sense. Job chapter one and verse 21 and and said naked. So Job says and naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. Not to his mother's womb, just that he's he was born 
and then he's going to return to the ground or, or, or back where he, he came from naked. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the Lord giving and the Lord taking away is really kind of the parenthetical between when you are born and when you die. He's going to give you some things. He might even take some things away from you. But blessed should be the name of the Lord. In Psalm 103, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He remembereth that we are dust. Cue up Kansas, right? Dust in the wind. Somebody was thinking it, I'm sure. Was anyone thinking it? No? Was I the only one thinking it before? Okay, Terry, thank you. All we are is dust in the wind. Now, the reality... Tim, Tim Hawkins does it too? Yeah. So the reality is we aren't just dust in the wind, right? And so Kansas, that is, we're not going to get our doctrine from, uh, from the group Kansas. We might get our doctrine in the state of Kansas. But we won't get our doctrine. But it is points to a fact that we are like a vapor. Our lives are like a vapor, according to the book of James, right? And so we do have a period of time where we will make an impact a very, to varying degrees, an impact in this world, and there will come a day when, you know, we'll be gone. If the Lord tarries is coming, you will die, and we, you know, life will continue for others. Uh, certainly had that reality this week with two COVID funerals and uh, friends of ours, and you know we're we're gonna we've got to keep going forward. We don't have a choice uh, for good and and bad. We just have to. We are dust. We are gonna go back to the dust of the earth. Uh, Ecclesiastes three verse twenty. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and to dust, and and turn to dust again. And 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 I realize that may be a little bit of a downer this morning. I realize that that's not like, so we're going to start with a low spot and we're going to build up from there, right? It's like, it's unfortunate, but Matthew chapter 6, this is not on your notes, not on the screen, but Matthew chapter 6 encourages us to lay not up for ourselves treasures upon the earth, right? Because we can't take anything with us. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Literally, at some point, like all those wonderful tombs with all those soldiers and all the uh, all the the pottery and all the vessels and all the gold, somebody broke into them. Now maybe they weren't thieves, maybe they were archaeologists, but the reality is they took them out of there, they put them in a museum, right? Right. So where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well that, is, ladies and gentlemen, that's not going to be in your coffin. That's not going to, you're not, we're not going to hang the treasures that you've invested in, in in heaven around your neck when we bury you. Those are, those are supernatural things. Those are spiritual things that transcend our physical bodies, right? So we've brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. That's the reality. But let's look at the guidance and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content Now, the context in this is that the physical can impact the mental, which can impact the spiritual. So I think you have a little bit of a fill-in-the-blank with some arrows, right? The physical can impact the mental, which can impact the spiritual. The wonderful thing is it can flow the other way in this context, which is really an important lesson. Spiritual can change the way you think, 
which can then change the way you act. But in this context, the lack of food, the lack of raiment can cause someone to get mad at God or at least focus on their focus on their situation, right? The mental, they focus on their situation and they get mad. Tim, I think I just, oh, okay. Uh, and then that causes a spiritual reaction, right? Now, we all have those situations, right? I mean, I think Snickers nailed it perfectly with the whole Betty White and yeah. Aretha Franklin and who's some of the other some people are looking at me like I don't know huh? Ed Asner was one of them right when you're hangry or you're hungry and you need a Snickers right you can turn into a grumpy person right this whole concept of being hangry and, 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 and that's a real thing the physical affects the mental and that's kind of as far as the Snickers commercial goes right but that can actually impact our view of God, right? We say things like, why don't I have? Or I start getting frustrated and I start coveting someone else's thing, right? It's a spiritual problem because I don't have enough. So notice that this is all about trusting God's provision in our life. And I, and I, and I put in my notes, you know, uh, well, maybe I didn't. I put, a, put a, a reminder in my notes. You know, there's a there's a joke: mo money, mo problems, right? Right? And and everybody says they would love to win the lottery, but there's a lot of problems when it comes to winning the lottery, right? A lot of people who win the lottery end up in bad places, whether it's their marriage or their their own physical. Like I met somebody uh, on my trip who whose family like is literally worth billions of dollars. And she was a 20 something, probably 24, 20, early to mid twenties, uh, young lady who is just, was born into the family with just a ton of money. And I, I, I remember, I met her, she's, she's appeared to be a nice lady uh, from Germany. And I remember thinking, but she stills probably based on her testimony her countenance still probably going to die and go to hell like it doesn't matter she has enough but not enough right and so provision is kind of an interesting thing notice in proverbs 30 this is really really interesting guidance that we see very practical guidance. So we've moved on, right, from the reality to the guidance section. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Neither, or give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that's convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. Like, just give me enough right so this gets into remember our 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 physical mental spiritual or probably the other direction for you all right the the physical can affect the mental which can affect the spiritual be careful because you probably i'm 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 guessing everyone in here has enough and there may be seasons and we'll see this in Paul's life there'll be seasons where we don't have enough but generally speaking the people in this room are rich. I mean, I've been to some places in the world where, like, it's bad. Like, really, really bad. 
and just pray, just ask God to give you food and raiment and your provision enough to be not poor and not rich because the extremes can get a little wonky. Even uh, Jesus, when he talks in Matthew 6, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Like, I don't need a barn full of bread. Like, I need food today, right? Because a barn full of bread is going to go bad before I eat it. And that's what you'll see with, you know, with hoarders. That's what you'll see with people that are, like, in the, in the definition of a prepper, is that they, they can't get enough. Like, they just can't have enough. So we've got to be real careful. It continues in Matthew 6, in verse 25 and 32. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What shall ye eat, or what, or I'm sorry, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? You're here more than just to have this physical existence. You're to invest in eternity like we've seen before. Right? For after all these things, and jumping to verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Be careful. Don't strive to be like the Gentiles. Strive to be like your Heavenly Father. For your Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He's going to, you know, we saw this, I think it was on Tuesday night, and Sam was talking, you know, who, what father, if his, if his kid says, can I have bread, will give him a stone. Or can I have fish would give him a serpent, right? Like that's that even a even a, a human that is a sinful human's not gonna do that to his kid, right? Our heavenly father is going to take care of these things. So when we continue on from the guidance, there's provision, we should we should know that, but we should also know that this concept of contentment is very clear in scripture. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, it's touched on. We're actually going to see this verse again in just a few minutes. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. Like, you have what you need. That literally, that concept of... Of, of, of contentment is sufficient. A resting or satisfaction of mind. It's interesting because even the word content comes from, I think it was a Latin word, which talks about the boundaries of water. Which I think is just kind of, it's like, it's like that's how far it needs to go. It's just like, it's content. It's just, that's what it, that's what it is. Now, there can be a negative connotation. Look, in, jo- in, uh, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 7, And Joshua said, uh, Alas, O Lord, wherefore hast thou uh, at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us under the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Like, whoa, like, that's, that's kind of a negative connotation or, or view of, con, of being content, right? I can be content with less than what God has for me. I did this illustration many moons ago uh, when I was preaching, uh, and I, you know, I thought about doing the same thing, but I'll just explain it. So, so, so the, 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 the trick here is, 
and I don't think I've done it here, is, is you have a full size, maybe one of those super king size candy bars behind your back, right? Uh, so we'll say with Snickers, right? Because we've got Snickers. So you've got that behind your back and you call a kid, usually it's a kid out of the audience, who likes Snickers? And you have one of those little fun size or little snack sized and you give it to them, right? You give that Snickers to the kid and say, now do you trust me to make a trade that's in your benefit? Sometimes they don't, and they want to leave, and they want that little Snickers. And you show them that they could have had a bigger Snickers, right? Or sometimes they do trust, and they'll actually trade you, right, for the, the big Snickers, right? That's literally how God will work. Some people are content with their little Snickers. Did they get the blessing? Yeah, they got the blessing. Yeah, they got, they got a bite of Snickers. But God wants to give them more, in some cases, not necessarily more Snickers. It's just an illustration. Although I would not particularly <laughs> refuse God giving me more Snickers, just to be clear. God wants to bless us, right? Let us not say, oh, to God, that we would have been content on the other side of Jordan, right? Like, let's live in the fullness of what he has for us. But there's also a, a positive connotation. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Well, there's a big lesson here. And I, pardon the pun, but it is a lesson. You have to learn to be content. It's not your default setting as a, as a, as a lost person, right? As a, as, a, as a person, as a human who was born in sin, our default position is not to be content. Our default position is to want our diaper changed, to want more milk, to want right, uh, baby, right? I'm not at this point wearing a diaper. My, I was just being clear. Babies were born to, to, they're not content, right? They need doted on. They need, like, they, we need, right? But notice what Paul says. He's learned to be content, and verses 12 and 13 that continue on at this, it's a beautiful picture. I know how, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I mean, this is Paul who at one point in his life was being trained up. And Brandon said it well at Bible study the other night when we were talking about this. He was literally being trained up to be like the high priest. He, like, he was the, the, the spiritual rock star in waiting for the nation of Israel. He had everything he could probably or possibly even want. He knows how to abound, but he's also walked journeys and been beaten and left for dead and suffered. I mean, he goes through a whole litany of lists in, in a couple places in scriptures of all the things that, that he's, you know, gone through and hungers, right? And, and, and different things that that were challenges that he had to come through. So he knows everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now we love verse 13. Some of you may recognize Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But that follows the concept of knowing how to both abound and to be abased. Like if you can't follow the Lord when your paycheck, when there's a few, you know, a few dollars in your bank account, 
and you can't trust the Lord when there's a lot of dollars in your bank account, and he'll, he may very well let you, let you experience that. You know, I've joked, I think, from this very spot, just once would I like the Lord to prove, you know, just the chance to prove that money won't ruin me. Right? Right? I mean, I think we'd all kind of like the chance, right? We watched Brewster's Millions the other night. I don't know when the last time you saw Brewster's Millions, but it, it, was, it, was, it was worth watching again, right? And, and, and it was funny. Some people were like, who is Brewster and what are millions? Um, Richard Pryor. Um, the premise of the movie, and I really think they should remake it. Because, did they? Is it? That's a remake. That's well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they should. That's a that's a good point because it was even uh, maybe fifties or early sixties. But they, I think they should remake it again because he has this rich uncle that he doesn't even know about that dies and leaves him. He says, "You can have three hundred million dollars if you can spend thirty million in in one month and not have anything to show for it at the end," because he wants to teach him that there's no value. There's no pleasure in the money. It's a really interesting. I, I really think it could be done done well. I mean, it was done. Richard Pryor was was you know it was context, it was contextual, right? Some of the humor was definitely probably not appropriate today, etc. But 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 it's a but it's a good lesson because at the end of it, Richard Pryor Brewster, right? He he was Brewster, right? Came had to come to the conclusion that money was not going to bring him happiness. No matter, because because he was trying to spend millions of dollars and not have anything to show for it, and all the people around him and the interactions are, are just really interesting. Paul experiences this on a spiritual level. He says, "I know I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need." So we need to learn contentment. It's really really important in Hebrews thirteen. In verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't want what other people have. And be content with such things as ye have. Right? I mean, it's, don't, you can't miss the, the simple English here. Don't covet what they have, but be content with what you have. Right? You have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That literally should be enough. <laughs> By the way, that him never leaving us or forsaking us should be enough. But how many times do we want to check our bank account? How many times do we want to check the pantry? How many times do we want to whatever, fill in the blank, right? Because we think we find sufficiency. We think we find contentment in those things. Or maybe it's in relationships. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of talking, you know, physical things and monetary. But some people, it's all about the relationships. They need the relation. No, no. Be content with such things as ye have. And so that was the guidance, right? So we've seen the, the, the reality. We've seen the guidance and both the, 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 uh, the kind of negative connotation of contentment and the positive connotation of contentment. But there's a warning, right? A warning. But they that will be rich will fall into temptation and the snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Like, could he be any, like, stronger on that language? Like, I know we're actually going to focus on this first part, but, like, literally, he could have said, you're going to fall into a snare that will cut into your leg, and it will hurt, and it will just blood. Like, he, but, but, like, in the many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Like, we can't overlook that. He's literally, like, saying, 
it's going to kill you. And maybe take people with you. <laughs> Literally, it's kind of that connotation, right? So there are some that will be rich, but they that will be rich. And this is the key. It's not the number of zeros, and I think I've joked about this either before or after. It's not the number of zeros after, right? Like, it's not how many commas, maybe I'll put it that way, how many commas are in your bank account, right? After a thousand, you get one. After a million, you get two. It's not how many commas are in your bank account, but it's your desire to be rich. Be careful. Be careful with your desire to be rich. Notice in Luke 12, 21, so, he, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Be careful. Be careful. Then there is a right kind of rich. In 1 Corinthians 4, now are ye full, now are ye rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. In 1 Timothy 6, 18, lower in the 1 Timothy 6 that we're in right now, they, uh, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. There's a way to be rich that's the right kind of rich toward God. Be full. Be rich in good works. Or in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, but not the rich that you say you are, rich and increased with goods. Like, it's not how big you're, the barn, there's a, there's a, there's a passage in scripture, right, where, where he, guy's going to, you know, the, 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 the uh, land brings forth fruit and he's going to build more barns and just store his stuff. It's not that kind of rich. It's rich where you are buying in to the gold tried in the fire. You're buying in of, of the Lord. Or in, in, in 1 John, and this is not in your, in your notes, but 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Like, if God has given you this, maybe he's using you as a conduit to take the blessings from him and pass it on. And I would say, just be careful. When, when people want to bless you, don't say no. Don't say no, because they're literally the conduit of God's blessing in your life. I learned this when I was in college. I went to, I went to college, in, or at least part of my school, in Dallas. And, and there's, at least at that point, there was still kind of a southern air uh, to, to the people that I, that I uh, interacted. And somebody was like, hey, can we take, you know, I was a poor college student. <laughs> Can I take you out to lunch? Oh, you don't need to do that. And, and I, I can still remember her face. I cannot remember her name, but that's just my fault. I can, I can close my eyes and I can still remember her looking at me and saying, don't rob me of the blessing. Don't rob me of the blessing. Wow. Okay, I'll let you feed me. <laughs> don't, don't, if somebody wants to bless you, now there's times to be discerning, but if somebody wants to bless you with something, don't, I mean, you can say, hey, I don't, I don't know why you, you think I need that, but maybe there's a misunderstanding or, you know, we can talk through it. That's fine. We can be adults. But if God has impressed upon somebody's heart to bless you with something, don't rob them of the blessing. So this brings us to our first discipleship decision. And I say first, there are two. The second one will come quickly. But will you be content with your riches in Christ? Right? 
you have a ton of spiritual blessings in Christ. Amen. We didn't even look at that. Like Amen. time would not allow for us to even look, touch on all the riches that you have in Christ. You are wealthy beyond compare yes. in your riches in Christ. But is that going to be enough for you? And if you feel like you've got to constantly be getting more, just just check yourself. Be very, very careful. Be very careful because I can, I can assure you through some personal experience and through the scripture, it's not going to bring you happiness. I, I, like I said, I met this young lady who literally, her father built a yacht out of carbon fiber because he wanted to try it. Right. Like, I can't even imagine having literally no parameters on spending. Like, it, oh, no, what? No, go ahead. You're good. I was just talking to myself. I was like, no boundaries. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine just saying, I want that. I remember Michelle and I, I'm going to just, I mean, we're just going to get real. I'm sorry, honey. Don't throw anything at me. We, we, we started out without a whole lot, right? And we, we joked at, at, at one point that we will know we have arrived financially when we can just go buy a sweater and not have a discussion about it. Oh. Like, you know, at the time it was probably a $20 sweater. They're probably more now, right? I mean, sweaters are more. But at the time, like, like money was tight enough that we needed to have a discussion about going and buying clothes, right? And so, but but getting to the point now where she came home with the blouse the other day and I think I saw the tag and it wasn't that much money. I remember thinking, that's a pretty good deal. Like, but we didn't worry about like having enough money to cover a, a, a blouse purchase. And And you know what? We're no happier. Like, that's not where we find our, our joy, our pleasure. It's Sure, is it nice not to have the stress of that? Yes, but it goes back to the physical can affect the mental, can affect the spiritual. But let it flow the other way. The spiritual, the riches in Christ, can affect the mental, your frame of reference, which can affect this, the physical, what you do with your money. Right? So in, in our remaining time, let's look at a couple more slides. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not. So you may see on Facebook, this is where I seem to find it most, most of the time, where somebody will put money is the root of all evil. That is not true. The love of money is the root of all evil. Again, context. The love of money is the root of all evil. Notice in verse... Um, Sorry, in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred, what? From the faith. So again, the context here is developing ourselves spiritually, believers, right? Growing, that those who've coveted after, according to this, are those that erred from the faith. This is not the lost being and acting lost. This is saved acting lost. Okay? This is saved people who erred after the faith. Erred from the faith. 
even in in First Timothy chapter uh, six, in verse nine uh, or verse twenty one rather, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, Amen. As we as we will eventually wrap up First uh, Timothy chapter six, but those who will fall into the temptation and the snare. The, the foolish and hurtful us, the, the, the drowned men in destruction and perdition, it's literally a trap. It's a trap for the believer. The lost are already acting out their lostness. Believer, don't fall for it. And the infamous words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? It was Admiral yeah. Akbar, right? Okay, I was like making sure I was right. Don't fall for it. It's a trap. The minute you start thinking, I want if I stood up here and and this did not happen this week, let me just let me be abundantly clear. But if I stood up to you up here today and I said, My boss called me and told me he was gonna give me a hundred thousand dollar bonus, is your first thought great? Or is your first thought, why didn't that happen to me? Right? Like literally don't worry about it. If God chose to, and again, that did not happen. We would have brought breakfast this morning if that happened. <laughs> and it would have been really nice breakfast. And the next week, and the next week, and probably gold-plated cups. Um, did not happen. But if your first thought was, why him and not me? You're not doing it right. I, I, I mean that with the love and, all the love in my heart. You're not doing it right. Don't worry about what God blesses me. I'm not supposed to worry. Like, literally, that's coveting after someone else's blessings. Don't do it because it's a trap. Satan is literally whispering in your ear, well, you deserve that. You should have gotten that. Whatever that is, fill in the blank. And probably not the bonus, right? Notice in in second second uh, Timothy chapter two seventeen eighteen and their word will eat as doth a canker or a cancer, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. They've literally gone away from the truth, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. This group doing this, this erring, it's the exact same concept. If I said you know, the resurrection is past already. The rapture's past. Those who are dead in Christ have already risen and the resurrection's past. You all would be like, what kind of stuff is he on? Because that's clearly not happened. Right? Literally the same context, same 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 words, even some of the same Greek words, same same English words. Don't err according to the faith when it comes to finances, when it comes to physical provision. Satan loves, there is no group that is more susceptible, and I'm just going to be just, and if I step on your toes, I apologize. I did wear my cowboy boots today and it'll hurt. No group is more susceptible to pyramid schemes. No group is more susceptible to bad deals. No group is is more susceptible to being taken advantage of than Christians. Why is it? Because they're not content. They're not content. Please, I beg you, be content 
in the riches you have in Christ. There, his, the, this is a view on his sufficiency. The view on his sufficiency of his provision of the sufficiency of his provision in Second Corinthians chapter three verse five. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We've already read Second Corinthians nine eight, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And in 2 Corinthians 12, I mean, it's obviously a big deal in, this, in, the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, right? When Paul was petitioning for, for his pain, his, his thorn in the flesh to go away. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Look, I'm not telling you don't buy and sell. I'm not telling you not to work. I'm not telling you to don't, don't do things to bring income. That's, that's between you presumably your spouse if involved, whatever the case. It's between you and God. That's not my point. My point is don't long after some, like if somebody's dangling a future in front of you where if you do this, then you'll be a millionaire. Like, like has, be wary. Now there is a concept and, and I'm not trying to backtrack here, but like Dave Ramsey will tell you, if you put enough money away each week or each month or each paycheck, Eventually, you will be a millionaire because that's how investing works. But that shouldn't be your goal. It shouldn't be your goal. Like it should be disciplined and those sorts of things. But but don't let somebody dangle something in front of you to to cause you to choose that over the sufficiency in Christ. Are you guys with me? Yes. So our last discipleship decision, and we'll wrap. Will you view your provision in Christ as sufficient? Is it sufficient? If he were to take everything away, which obviously happened to Job, and I've taught through the book of Job, and at one point in time, somebody might help me, it was like millions, like 30, if I remember right, 31 or 51 million dollars worth of value of stuff that Job had that was gone just like that. Yet his response was still, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, we've got to have that approach. And I know it's super easy for me to say because I'm going to go have lunch today. And I'll probably even have dinner tonight. I, I hope I have dinner tonight. Like, but, but don't, don't, please, don't let the things of this world get in the way of your relationship with, with Christ. Satan loves to dangle this stuff and it's like it's just follow this. Follow jump. Jump. Oh, oh you want to be oh get a little more money. Oh, jump. Like he loves to play us. And what do we do? You know, it's just like that that well, that insurance commercial where the guys dangling the $1 bill yeah. on the Oh, almost got it. Almost got it. Right? And I know that's kind of silly, but 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 folks, that's what we do. With the lack of 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 understanding that Christ's provision is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for...